Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We're carrying on our series, our Lenten 2021 series, Bring Out the Book. And we are in this series with a very simple aim that more Bible will be read by more people, that more Bible will be enjoyed, that more Bible verses will be read, that more Bible verses will be memorized, that more Bible will be studied and taken in and absorbed and more Bible will be obeyed. Because it's our passionate belief that this book is a book of eternal life, that within this book, there contains the answers to all of our questions that pertain to this life and the next. Because in this book, we believe very simply, we meet God. We exist as a church to see the glory of God known across London and the nations. And where God's glory is seen in its sharpest HD, panoramic, full color, full definition, glory where he is most clearly seen is in this book and so this series is a very simple attempt to try and fan into flame a desire to spend more time with this book open so that we might receive from God this is not an attempt by us to try and please God through reading more bible this is an attempt to us to know God and enjoy God and receive from God in many more rich ways because the Bible is open in our life. Which takes us to Psalm 19. Probably my favourite psalm in the, in the Psalms. Uh, it, it's up there with Psalm 23. I cannot decide whether I prefer Psalm 23 or Psalm 20, 19. Catch me on a different day, it'll probably be different, but th- this is up there for me with one of my favourites. It's a joy to speak from this and it is a rich poem filled with vast theology. I love the holistic way it takes us outside of ourselves to see and contemplate and wonder at what is going on in the skies above us so that this psalm explains so much of why we feel what we feel when we go for a walk, when we've been stuck inside a house for two days straight. Why does our soul feel like it takes a breath when we look up at the sky? What is it about the heavens? that teaches and nourishes our souls. And this Psalm takes us there and explains some of the beauties of the word, as well as we then respond at the end of the Psalm. C.S. Lewis, who by the way, taught classics. He, he read uh, poetry, he taught poetry for a living. And he said this, I take this poem to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Now, I don't know whether you agree with that. Um, Probably uh, we're not reading this in the original Hebrew, so we're missing some of the nuance. But it's not so much whether you appreciate the poetry here, but it's the theology. And my prayer is that we would see some of what David saw as he looked up and he looked down into the Bible and he looked into his heart. So if you will, will you, will you pray right now? And if you're not a Christian, if you're looking in, if you're a skeptic, if you're uncertain, if you're someone with another faith, but you're watching on, thank you firstly for watching. And uh, why don't you just take this moment to pray as well? You, you may, your prayer may just be, Lord, if you are real, if there is a God out there, would you reveal yourself to me?
God loves that prayer. If you're a Christian, if you're part of Trinity, let's pray that our hearts would be nourished and stirred. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for a book. Lord, thank you that you have communicated to us. And I pray that my communications would be clear, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I pray with David, let the words of my mouth and the and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So Psalm 19, this is what I want to do. Very briefly talk about the sketch, the, over, the overarching theme of the psalm. And then I want to draw out four things that this psalm teaches us about the Bible. So firstly, this psalm written by David, who grew up as a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of the sons. And it was his job to look after the family sheep and goats. And he spent day after day, night after night, week after week, month after month, year after year, out in the wilderness, in the fields, watching over this flock and staring at the sky. I mean, I, I, I spent one, one time in South Africa uh, on the border of Lesotho. Some of you have been there, a small town called Clarence. Tour and I went out and we looked out up at the sky and you realise when you live in London how much of the beauty and the stars and the glory and the definition and the depth of the, the galaxy that, and the solar system that we're just missing in London. There is glory to behold in the skies. And David spent with no light pollution day by day, night by night, watching the movement of the sun, watching the stars, looking at the moon, contemplating, meditating, thinking and praying and thanking God. And what we have here in Psalm 19 is a mature reflection, having had years of meditation laid in his soul. Now with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and some more theological understanding, as an older mature man, he writes this poetry and he says this, the heavens they declare the glory of God he looks at the skies and he says this is not just about the wonder of the universe this is not an exploration as to the marvel of the sun the sun and the stars and the moon they are declaring they are preaching they are communicating continually to us about the glory of its maker that we are in this non-stop never ceasing sermon that every time you step outside of your house you are being preached to and declared truth to that there is a God and he is beautiful and he is wonderful and he is vast and he is powerful John Calvin he called when he looked at the world he called the world the theatre of God and he said this as he was reflecting on the Psalms he said the whole world is a theatre for the display of the divine goodness, wisdom, justice and power. So it's right that there are some like Professor Brian Cox who are exploring as far as we can into the depth and the science of the universe. But it is not enough just to call it the wonder of the universe. The universe tells us something about the creator, the artist behind it, God himself. There is a communication happening to us through the world around us and David picks out this one contemplation around the sun he picks out of all the things the sun and so he says verse 4 the end of verse 4 in them 
He has set a tent for the son, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So deliberately, he, he, he's writing some thoughts about the sun. And then there's this strange thing that happens that he then jumps to talking about the Bible. And this is strange. And you think, okay, this is poetry. This probably would have been sung by the Jewish people back in the day. And there is this jump between looking at the skies to looking at the Bible. And the question is, what is going there? Is this just a clunky, you know, it's not very thought through, like random thought? Or is there something about the sun that draws his attention to the Bible? Is there something that when he contemplates the sun, it actually reminds him of the nature of of the Bible. And I'm going to go along with C.S. Lewis here and say there is. There is a very deliberate connection here made between the sun and the Bible, that what the sun does for our physical life with our bodies and here on earth, the Bible does for our spiritual life. And there is an intimate connection here being made between the nature of this blazing fireball of a sun and the blazing fire of the spiritual power that comes through the word of God. And so really what I want to do is I want to, I want to take out four things that the sun teaches us about the Bible from this psalm. That the sun becomes an, a physical blazing illustration of the blazing power of the Bible in our life. So four things. Here we go. First thing, the Bible is God communicating to us. So when you look at the son, he's contemplating here and he says in verse three, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. When he looks up at the sky and he looks up at the heavens, the, he, he, he is aware that there is a communication that is not stopping, that God is speaking to us all the time, that God is a communicative, talkative, can I say chatty God. He is all the time telling us about himself. He is not leaving things to chance. He is not leaving us wondering like, I wonder what God is like. No, he is telling us again and again, day by day, night by night. There are words that are coming forth if we would hear them. And then that takes him to this contemplation on the Bible from verse seven onwards. And you notice that every time that he has he has talked describes the Bible in six different ways. He talks about it as the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear of the Lord, and the rules of the Lord. But every single time it's of the Lord. So it's the law of the Lord, it's the testimony of the Lord, it's the precepts of the Lord, it's the commandments of the Lord, it's the fear of the Lord, it's the rules of the Lord. You get the point. These words are not simply a society putting together their collective wisdom and thinking this is a good way of um, living out society. These are a direct communication vertically coming down from the heavens from God himself. We're told in the New Testament that these scriptures are God breathed, that these are the very words of God. So that when we open up the Bible, what we have is God continually communicating to us. He is talking to us. Some people, and I'm just going to say some men, let the reader hear, struggle to communicate. <laughs> if you are married to a man, you may know what this is like. That, that, that I'm speaking as a man, there can be times where 
there are things going on in our mind and our soul, and we know that there are quite powerful things going on, but we honestly do not know, and we are struggling to even understand ourselves, let alone communicate it. And a wife may ask, what is going on with you? Tell me what's going on inside. And uh, <laughs> the husband may just look back blank like, I don't really know. That is not God. God has not left us wondering. He has not left us wondering in the dark thinking, what actually is God thinking about? What is God feeling in any given moment? God is a clear communicator who understands his own emotions with crystal clarity and communicates them to us and has written them down in a book for us so that we may not wonder but know our God. God is speaking to us through this book. So every time I open the pages of the word of God, I am hearing him speak to me. And if that is the case, and if that is our belief, and if then we would want to know God in some form, whether we are an unbeliever on the outside looking in, trying to discover more about God, or whether we are a Christian trying to grow and develop our relationship with God, we would need to open up this book. It would be foolish for us to say, well, you know, I, I don't really sense God's presence in my life and I don't really feel like he's helping me or talking to me if our Bible is closed. It's a bit like, bit, bit like this, that if, you're, if you followed a football team uh, and, and you would complain to a friend that, you know, I never hear the results of my team. I never get to know, you know, what my team, how my team's doing. Um, for some of you, I can't, I can't help it. If, if you're an Arsenal fan, it could be a mercy. But if you support a good team, you may want to know. I'm sorry, Impuman. But, and Joel, and the rest of you out there, Chris. Um, let me get back to the Bible. But if you wanted to know about your team, how are they doing? You might, <laughs> and if someone says, well, have you watched Match of the Day? No, I haven't watched Match of the Day. Well, have you checked BBC Sport? No, I haven't checked. Well, have you, have you read the newspaper? No, no, no. Like, what are you expecting? If, if you want to find out about the results of your team, go open up the paper, read the BBC News, go to Match of the Day. If you want to know what God is saying to you right now, open up the book. Don't wander through life with a closed Bible expecting God to speak to you. This is the place of special revelation where God has promised by his Holy Spirit to speak. We may not have an emotional experience straight away as God speaks to us, but that is not a signifier that God is not speaking. Let me say that again. You may not have an emotional experience when you wake up in the morning and read the Bible tomorrow, but that is not a signifier that God is not speaking to you. We need these words of life in our life. So the Bible is God speaking to us. And let me apologize to you Arsenal fans, I do love you, but London's blue. Secondly, the Bible brings life. We don't have to rehearse the fact that the sun 
permeates all things and gives life to the earth. If it weren't for the sun, the earth would be an icy, lifeless rock with nothing growing. But because there are the rays of sun bringing heat and light on the earth, there is vegetation, there is life, there are animals, the photosynthesis can happen, we can exist. And the only reason we exist, biologically speaking, is because of the sun providing its warmth and light. And in the same way here, we have the Bible and only through the words of scripture, the gospel truth, do we have spiritual life. And I, I think, I imagine David meditating here, thinking about the warmth of the sun on his skin and just reflecting on the warmth of the words of life on his soul and how that brings life to his soul. I mean, here in England, I was joking with AJ this week saying, you know, in India, you know, the sun's there all the time. Us in England, if the sun comes out, it's a rare day and we tend to go a little bit crazy. You know, that first day in, when spring comes and there's that first day of like proper sun and everyone's out there. And you know that feeling you step outside and the, 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 the sun is on your skin. You can feel the sun on your face. You know, you can feel the, the warmth on your back. And you're just in the T-shirt and you, you th there is a life-giving moment. You feel like your body relaxes somehow. You know, we were literally, it gives us vitamin D. We're made, we are nourished in the presence of the sun. And I think when David then reflects about the Bible, he's talking about the reviving power of the Bible on our soul. So just look at this, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That warmth of the sun, it just brings some life back into our being. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So when we open up the words of scripture, we're told that revival happens in our soul we're told that wisdom develops in our mind we're told that joy is implanted in our heart we're told that our eyes can see again that this book provides life that when the warmth of the rays and the light and the truth of this book touches my mind and my soul there is a revival that slowly starts to happen that life begins to sprout, sprout again, that fruit begins to be born, that God's mind begins to fill out my being. There is life to be had from reading the words of this book. It's been my experience continually. It's partly one of the reasons why I shared earlier last week that I'm, I'm not listening to podcasts during Lent and I'm aiming to have my mind absorbed and memorise John 15 and I'm saying this to keep myself accountable because I want the reviving power of the word of God in my life. I want life and there is more to be had and I want the more. So second point, the third point is this, the Bible leads us to true authenticity. It's uh, when um, David is contemplating and meditating on the sun, he says this at the end of verse six. He says its circuit is to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And C.S. Lewis put, makes the point that this is probably the key, the key um, uh, link between the sun and the Bible. Because when then David goes on to contemplate the nature of, and the power of the Bible, he ends with this searching prayer. Is he, he's meditating on the sun thinking there is nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. The sun permeates 
everything in this life. Nothing can be hidden from its rays. And then he goes on to contemplate the all-pervasive nature of the truth of God through the Bible. And then he comes to look inside himself and he says, who can discern his own errors? Declare me innocent, O God, from a hidden fault. Keep me back from your servant also from the presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transition. Because he's realized that as he's contemplated the truth of God in the Bible, actually he has found out that he himself is spiritually exposed before God. He is spiritually naked and the hidden parts of himself are now laid bare. That nothing can be hidden from the truth of God through his word. Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. And no creature, neither you nor me, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This might feel like a strange place to come to and you think, how is that good news that you have basically declared, okay, I have hidden faults in my life, in my private life, nothing is squeaky clean. There are presumptuous sins and there are transgressions in my private life. And the word of God actually exposes that. How is that good news? And how is that, a, a what is that about? Let me just tell us things that we already know that in our culture today, in our moment today, we are obsessed with finding our true self. We are obsessed with an inward search to find out who I really am. What is my true self? Because it is a horrific thought to us in our culture that I might be living a lie, that I might be living an outward lie, that, it, that, that an outward life that is not actually true to who I really am deep down inside, which is why we celebrate stories of coming out that actually now finally I'm going to tell you who I really am inside. I'm going to come out and I'm going to live this authentic life that who I am inside relates to who, the life that I live outside. Which is actually a laudable thing, a commendable thing, except this. If we start with God and his glory and his perfection, if we start with the beauty of God and who he is, and we don't start with ourselves, we come to a radically different conclusion. Not that what inside me is to be celebrated and put on the outside of my life, that actually inside my life there are sins and brokenness and transgression, presumptuous sins even. Things that I would not celebrate. But if we can admit that, and that everything, as I look at the beauty and the perfection of the universe, and I see the beauty of God in his word, and as I realize, actually, I do not match up to that beauty in my, on my inside life. If we can admit that, that there is wrongdoing and sin in my life, and if we can be authentic to that, and come clean with that, and come to God with that, then there is power then there is healing then there is resurrection life in the name of Jesus because we have come to him as we truly are that is our authentic self and as we come to him as broken sinful people acknowledging authentically who we are then we receive the life and the power of God only then 
And so we have to get it the right, the right way around. We start with God and his beauty and we discern who we really are. That's our authentic self. We don't start with ourself and try and find our authentic being divorced of the presence of God. Which leads us to the final point. And this is the good news. That the heavens and the sun and the Bible declare one person, Jesus Christ. The Bible is about Jesus. Come on a journey with me here, because as David looks at the sun, he's looking at very one, one particular thing, and it's fascinating. He's talking about the circuit of the sun. He's saying um, that its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. Just imagine him in the field day by day, watching the sun, making this journey from east to west, from east to west. And Psalm 45 picks up this language of the bridegroom leaving his chamber and the strong man running its course with joy and tells us that this strong man is actually God himself. And that there is this journey that God is trying to teach us about himself that he is making like a bridegroom going to meet his bride or a strong man going out to victory. There is a journey toward consummation. There is a journey towards completion. There is something happening from east to west and Paul in Romans 10 picks up Psalm 19 and he tells us that it is not just God but goes one step further but this is about Jesus Christ himself and gospel realities that the glory of God that the heavens tells us about is not an abstract thing but is a person Jesus Christ Hebrews 1 3 tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature that the heavens are about Jesus, that the sun is about Jesus, that the Bible is about Jesus, that Romans eleven thirty six, that all things are from him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And that in even the sun and the Bible, we get to know about Jesus. This movement from east to west is a significant thing. The Hebrew scriptures are filled with references to east and west. It's not neutral whether you happen to be in the east or the west. When Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, they were thrown out east. They were sent eastward. When Steinbeck wrote East of Eden, he was getting biblical on us. He, they traveled east and there is this journey that is made spiritually and geographically and that every time people move away from God spiritually, there is a further move away from God eastward. That you travel east away from God and that to travel west is to travel towards the presence of God. So that when Abraham, for the first time, chooses to obey God and to move towards this promised land, which way does he travel? He stops traveling east and he turns westward. So that as he spiritually moves towards God, he geographically moves westward. And when God set up the tabernacle and the temple was then built, it was built deliberately facing west to east. So that the priest would come from the east and he would pass the altar of sacrifice and he would pass through the curtain that separated the east from the west and he would travel through the curtain that separated the common from the uncommon, the unholy from the holy and he would move into the presence of God, into the holy of holies. And God deliberately set up a declaration, a blazing declaration of the glory of his son to travel from the east to the west 
so that we might have a continual reminder that there is one who has gone before us far from God in the east and has traveled its course past the altar of sacrifice through the curtain that separates us from the holy of holies and has had that torn in the crucifixion of his own flesh he has had that torn from us and he has traveled into the holy of holies on our behalf and has gone as a forerunner for us so that we might be reminded day by day when we see the sun in the sky there is hope for us because Jesus has already gone into the presence of God before us and we in his name are going to follow him that we are now moving into the presence of God, that there is hope for us. And we're told that the Bible from start to finish, from east to west, tells us about one man, Jesus Christ. The Bible is not random moral things that you should do to be a better person so that God may be happy with you one day. The Bible is a declaration of the glory of God and his name is Jesus. Jesus in John 5 tells the Pharisees who are experts supposedly in the Bible that they had got the Bible completely wrong, that they were going to the Bible to try and find more things to follow so that they could please God. And Jesus tells them in John 5, you have got it wrong because all of this book declares truth about me and what I have done, that I've made the journey far from God to God on your behalf. And Jesus comes and he speaks to two despondent disciples traveling away from Jerusalem spiritually moving eastward and he comes to them and he teaches them about himself from all of the scriptures so we're told in Luke 24 he says to them oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe and I think he said that with a smile and a twinkle in his eye just so you know all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory because they didn't understand why Christ was crucified and then it says beginning with Moses that's the first five books of the Old Testament and the prophets he interpreted to them in the, all the scriptures the things concerning himself that this book is an exploration into the beauty and the power and the mercy of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion and his resurrection on our behalf so that we may enter the Holy of Holies with him. So I open this book on a morning not to attain anything but to meet my meaning. I open this book to meet Jesus Christ. I open this book to get a full panoramic HD, HD clear vision of the glory of God in Christ Jesus to meet mercy to receive grace and I want to urge us Trinity to bring out this book and we might meet him too bless you